Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Uh, you know, we had a great testimony reported to the team this week where I just want to say thank you to Jill Jane, to Angela, to their amazing team. That, but somebody they were praying for this week who, who literally for years has only been able to get a couple of hours sleep every night. And I, I know what that's like, believe me, that's been my journey. Uh, but just after prayer and ministry, got the first night's six hours sleep. Can we give Jesus a big clap? Isn't that good? You know, it's just, I mean, it's great when stuff happens in meetings. Don't get me wrong. Meetings are places of encounter. We should have stuff happening in our meetings, but it's just great when stuff happens every day. You know, in the everyday walk of a believer, we're just doing stuff and stuff is happening. And I just want to encourage, you know, be encouraged with the good stuff that's happening. You know, I'm going to talk a little bit about this this morning, but where your focus is, where you choose to let your heart engage, often that's what will impact you in your life. And so if, you're, if your focus is on, on stuff that's negative and you're, you're just too much focused on that, it's going to have an impact on your mind, on your thinking, on your life. But if you, if you focus on the stuff that's positive that God is doing, you know, that, that has a way of transforming us. That has a way of carrying us through the, the various uh, challenges in life that we're facing. So listen, I've got a text I want to read to you this morning. I've got, I've got a few statistics I want to throw at you. Oh, before I do that, by the way, the West Coast. Oh, yes. Tico and I, we did a little, we did a little um, road trip together. The guys. Yeah, it was the boys. People, other people wanted to come. We said no. It was very exclusive. And, uh, you know, it was like we, we drove all the way, Arthur's Pass, all the way to Greymouth and uh, 23 degrees along the coast road up to Westport. I saw the Pancake Rocks. It's all very nice. I tell you, New Zealand is just the best kept secret in the world. I, I don't know why more people don't come here. Your place is awesome. It's astonishing. So I, was, I had to do a little, uh, my team, a meeting tonight. Uh, I, I say tonight because this morning is tonight in England. It's Saturday night over there. And my team are meeting and they're having uh, the volunteer dinner that, that you guys had last week. Uh, they're doing that right now. So I had to bring them a greeting. And it's really funny because it's minus five degrees in London. <laughs> and I'm in a T-shirt and I'm sweating <laughs> while I'm doing the video. And I said, well, friends, I'm over here in New Zealand suffering for Jesus. Someone's got to do it. Here are my lords, send me. So um, they're all over there. They're having a nice meal right now. But uh, yeah, New Zealand, great place. Okay, let me, let me uh, throw some statistics at you. Did you know that 40% of New Zealanders will experience mental health, illness, and or an addiction at some time in their lives. So let that sink in. 47%. 40% have already done so. Hello? And 20% will have some kind of anxiety disorder within the next 12 months. And in case you didn't know, it's higher in Christchurch than anywhere else in New Zealand because of the earthquakes. So that's the reality of life out there in the world. 
That's the reality that we're facing. And so really what I want to do this morning is try and help us navigate that kind of a world. Because I believe in the kingdom of God, you know, we're supposed to live under a different kind of authority. There is, there is what goes on in the world and there's what goes on in the kingdom. And you see, people in the world, until they saw Jesus, they didn't realize it could be significantly different. And so, you know, in the world, there's never enough. Jesus said, what do you have? Five loaves, two fishes. That's enough. So in the world, it isn't enough, but in the kingdom, it is. And so often, we've got to learn to live the way Jesus did under the authority of the kingdom. I remember in 2008, there was a huge financial crisis around the world, a big financial crash. And in 2008, lots of, lots of businesses were deeply affected for the next couple of years. And I remember around about 2009, it was the beginning of the year, and I just said, Holy Spirit, do you, ha- do you have a word that, that I can give the church? And before I could even think about it, I said to the church in 2009, we're not going to live under a world financial crisis. We're going to live under the kingdom of God. This year, debts will be paid. All unemployed people will get jobs and people will be promoted. And after I said it, you know, I came off stage and one guy came up to me and he goes, wow, that was a really bold statement. You know when you do something and afterwards you get really intimidated? You know, like when you're doing it, you're, you're like the man of faith. You're there, you're in the zone. And somebody comes up to you and says, well, I'd like to see if that's going to happen. And you think, oh my God, what did I do? And it kind of came out of my mouth without thinking about it. And, and I just thought, well, Lord, if that really is you, you're going you're gonna to fulfill your word. Yeah. Do you know that year, nobody in our church who had a business, nobody went bankrupt. Everybody who was unemployed by the end of the year got employed. And, and everybody who was believing for a promotion, who needed money, got a promotion that year. What I'm saying is, is you can either live under the world or you can live under the authority of the kingdom. And it makes a difference. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't mean we go through the same hardship. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that there is a level of peace that we can have, even in hardship, believing that God will come through for us at the right time. Do you get this? So let me read to you Paul's prescription for dealing with this this kind of thing. He says this. Rejoice. This is Philippians 4.4, by the way. So three verses for you here. Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Can you imagine Paul? When Paul was writing, he used to dictate. Uh, They had what was called an an, an amusis, which was a little guy who was there dictating. And at the end of Romans, it's got who the guy was who was writing the letter. So he often had people writing letters for him, and he would dictate. Can you imagine Paul He's, he's dictating this, this letter, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And the guy goes, Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he goes, Write it again. <laughs> Write it again. Again, I say rejoice. I say, Okay, I'll say it again. You know, it's like he wants to emphasize something. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Why? Because you, you never hear it the first time. Have you noticed that? If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you never hear it the first time, do you guys? <laughs> if you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about. How many times do I have to tell you? You know, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. 
Now, wouldn't it be great if it said, be anxious for something? That would sort of make a lot of us feel a lot better about the way we are right now. But the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Here's, here's the first point I want to make today. There is no area of your life where God wants you to care and carry anxiety. Think about that. There is no area of your life, your marriage, your children, your finances, your job, your work situation, your colleague, there is no area of life where God wants you to carry anxiety and worry. Be anxious for nothing. Well, how much is nothing? That's a big fat zero. There is no, so if you've got anxiety in area, any area of life, God doesn't want you to feel guilty for being anxious. He wants you to determine to deal with it. So I'm not saying this to you. So all the people in the room are saying, well, I'm struggling with this and I'm struggling with that. I've been there. I know what it's like to have anxiety. And here's the thing. You're never immune from anxiety because something can happen where suddenly anxiety comes into your life. But what I'm saying is take a posture where you're not going to welcome it as a friend. You're going to treat it as an enemy. Do you get that? I think too many times, you know, sometimes I hear Christians speak to me and say, yeah, I'm just a bit of a warrior. And I say, well, how's that working for you? And it's, they talk about worry like it's become a friend. Don't let worry become a friend in your life. Don't let anxiety become a friend in your life. Treat it like an enemy because you're, you're not designed or built to carry anxiety. That's why 1 Peter 5.8 says, casting all your care upon him because he cares for us. That's why Jesus said, um, come unto me all you labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I'm meek and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. Why carry something you're not designed to carry? I remember when my son was six years of age and we were moving a piano and he wanted to help. How many of you know at six, you really can't carry much? I said, okay, son, help. And I had four of my friends. We were all on the corners, and my son was in the middle, and he, he genuinely thought he was carrying the, carrying the piano. Said, Look at me, Daddy. And, you know, if we'd have let go, he'd have been in for a big surprise. <laughs> there were four big guys on each corner carrying the piano, and he thought he was carrying it. And, and really, that's how God wants you to understand worry and anxiety. You're not meant to carry it. He wants to carry it for you. He wants you to take his yoke upon you and learn from him. How do you deal with it? Well, Paul gives us a prescription here. So you are not designed to carry and live with worry and anxiety in your life. It destroys your health. It destroys your relationship. It robs you of peace. It is, it is not a good thing. Now, anxiety hits us, but when it hits us, we have to deal with it. So how does Paul say we deal with it? Here's what he writes. <clears throat> Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Now, we've gone from nothing to everything. Did you notice that? Within three words, we've gone from nothing to everything. So when it comes to anxiety, nothing. So what is the everything? Well, it is everything that comes into your life that tries to produce anxiety in everything by prayer and supplication 
with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul is saying you've got a choice here. You can live with anxiety or you can live with peace. Now, what choice would you like to make today? (laughs) You want to live with anxiety in your life? Go ahead. Tell me how that works for you. Or do you want to live with peace? Shalom. The idea of shalom was that everything comes into a state of wholeness. Everything comes into a state where it's ordered correctly. This is God's plan for you and me. This is what he wants you to experience in your life. And and the fact is that all kinds of things happened that are anxiety-producing moments. And the issue is, how are we going to choose to deal with those moments when they hit us? Listen, you, you, you don't have six kids and five daughters without having anxiety-producing moments. <laughs> Sometimes when my, my girls would introduce me to their boyfriend, I would think, oh, no, 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 no. That's what I'm going on the inside. I'm going, oh, no, 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 no. That's never going to happen. <laughs> it was an anxiety-producing moment for me as a father. Well, sometimes there's too much month at the end of the money. That's an anxiety-producing moment. Do you know what I'm saying? There are are all kinds of situations in life that hit us. You go to the doctor, you're you're just expecting a checkup, and suddenly he says something you're not expecting to hear. And, And here's the thing. You can live under the authority of what's been declared over your life in the natural, or you can choose to step into the kingdom and say, no, I'm going to live under the authority of the king and the kingdom and what he declares over my life. How do you make that transition? Well, well, we make it through salvation. Of course, we're translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. We step from darkness to light. Yes, there's that one-time moment where we're trusting God. But how do we do it practically day by day? Paul says here, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So it's not just that you let your requests be made known to God. It's that you do it with an attitude of gratitude. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. It says this. Uh, Corrie ten Boom. How many of you like Corrie ten Boom? She's the Holocaust survivor. She and her sister were, were put into a concentration camp. Her sister ended up dying. She ended up forgiving the people who killed her sister. And uh, here's what Corrie ten Boom had to say. Worry is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength carrying two days at once it is moving into tomorrow ahead of time worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow it empties today of its strength isn't that good what wise words you see if you worry particularly if you're worried about the future you're worried about what tomorrow looks like you're worried how you're going to cope you're worried about relationships well what's going to happen tomorrow All that you're doing is today trying to carry two days. You are not emptying tomorrow of its sorrow. You are emptying today of its strength. Hello? And here's the thing. It's a choice that you make. See, a lot of people say, oh, I'm just wired that way. I'm a warrior. No, you're not. Don't believe that. 
That's a pattern you've learned. See, my mother was a terrible warrior. A ter- she worried about everything. She worried, you know, like, I literally, when I got a motorbike, when I got a, I actually had a scooter. I had a Vespa scooter. It was a one, 160cc scooter. So not that powerful, but pretty good. I remember when I was at university, I bought a 500cc twin carburetor Triumph motorbike. And my dad said to me, don't tell your mother. (laughs) And I said, why not? And he said, because I won't be able to live with her in terms of the worry it's going to produce in her life. So I I used to do free fall parachuting. I was doing it two years before my mother found out. I remember one day I came home. I used to park the bike down the road and just, you know, walk, walk in to the house and stuff like that. And then one day my mother saw the motorbike. She nearly had a fit. I said, Mom, I've had it for three years. <laughs> she just worried about everything. And so that was the inheritance that my brother and I received as kids. We received an inheritance of a mother who worried a lot. But when I came into the kingdom, I realized I don't have to live that way. I don't have to let the past programming determine how I'm going to be in life. And I I learned that there's a different thing I can do. For every anxiety I have, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to ask for his intervention and his involvement. And I'm going to be thankful for everything that I have. Do you get that? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Here's a lovely story. One, worried ma- one guy worried so much that he decided to hire someone to do his worrying for him. So he put an advert in the paper, and uh, the salary was $200,000 a year. So he had a lot of applications. And uh, a guy came and uh, got the job. And after he'd accepted his job, his first question to his boss is, where are you going to get the $200,000 a year to pay me? And he said, that's your problem. I'm not worried about it. (laughs) David Foster Wallace is an advertising agent. People came to him and they wanted to sell their products. So here's what he said. He was also a psychologist. He said, I did what all ad- ads are supposed to do. I created an anxiety relievable by purchase. <laughs> Have you noticed how adverts work? What are you going to do if you get ill and you can't work? What will you do if you have that car crash? And how will your family be provided? It's like adverts are there to create anxiety. And then right at the end they say, don't worry, just buy this product and you'll be fine. That's how most advertising works in the world. It's like playing to your fear. It's playing to your anxiety. And then it says, this is what you've got to do. Do you know, for the first 10 years of my married life, I had no insurances. All my friends were insured up to the eyeball. They had house insurance, they had car insurance, they had life insurance, they had this insurance. I was working for the church. So I remember quoting some scriptures and saying, Lord, I would rather spend my money on my family and on things that will develop me 
as a leader in God's kingdom than on worrying and having a backup plan for this. I'm not saying it's wrong to do any of those things, by the way, but I only had a certain limited amount of resource. So I said, Lord, will you be my insurance? Will you give me a word that guarantees you will be the backstop? You will be the one who who looks after my health. You will be the one who looks after my family. You will be the one who looks after my house. And I felt like, you know, the Lord gave me a word. The Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they're kept safe. And that was my insurance policy for 10 years. Hello? You see, so often we think it's about not having enough. No, it's, it's about ordering your world in a different way. What is it you're carrying today that God doesn't want you to carry? Come on, what is it? We had a lady in our church who, who was just a, a wonderful woman who, who got cancer. And, and they just told her, just, you, you're going to be dead in two years. There's nothing we can do. It's so far advanced. It's everywhere in your body. You'll have two years maximum. See your family, see your friends, get ready to die. She came to our church and she just was sad. She was always sad. I said, Lucy, why are you sad? And she said, I've got two years to live and I don't want to die. And I said, well, should we create a new future? And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, why don't we ask the Lord if he'll do something? Why don't we ask the Lord if if the Dr. Jesus will give you a different prognosis? Why don't we ask the Lord to intervene on your behalf? And we just started to pray regularly every week, just every week. And, and you you know you can pray yourself into unbelief, by the way. Have you ever done that? You pray so long, you lose faith. So the the key thing is, whenever you pray for someone, is to pray long enough while you're in a space of faith. And then stop praying and say, we can do it again some other time. Yeah? Listen, even Jesus prayed twice for a blind man. Hello? I'm a great believer in persevering prayer. Do you know, we prayed for her for six months. And then when she went to see her oncologist, he said, I don't believe it, Lucy. He said, you're actually getting better. You should be getting worse, but you're getting better. The cancer is receding. We prayed for her for a whole year. He said, I can't believe this. He said, your cancer now is located in just several organs in your body. It's no longer throughout your body. It's just in certain locations. He said, we can't operate, but you're getting better. How many of you know that encouraged her? Hello? How many of you know that encouraged us who were praying for her? You know what? I mean, in the beginning when you pray for someone who's sick, you're sort of praying at a certain level of authority. But when a doctor tells you you're getting better, you you get a little bit more aggressive. You know what? You get a little bit more oomph, a little bit more fight in you. You're like, I hate you, cancer. I curse you in Jesus' name. I mean, we really started going for it. After a whole year, he said it's in one part of your body and we can operate on that now. And they did. They operated. They took out two-thirds of her liver. How many of you know that's not easy? Two-thirds of your liver going, I didn't know this. All the doctors in the house know this. Your liver is one of the few organs in the body that regrows. In six weeks, her liver regrew. In six weeks. That's a miracle. The doctors couldn't believe it. So we'd never seen anything like that. And she goes, I know, I'm a miracle. (laughs) You create a new future. How? By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Listen, if you're not grateful for what what you have now, it's doubtful you'll be grateful for what you get in the future. 
You've got to learn to show gratitude for right where you are in the journey. You know, I, I meet Christians and it's like, they, they, you know, there's just a whole lot of yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like the murmuring of the children of Israel in the wilderness, you know. Oh, you know, we, we miss the leaks and we miss all of that stuff in Egypt and we want to go back. You want to go back to slavery. That's what you want to go back to, right? Isn't it amazing how you forget how bad something was and then you want to go back to it? Are you kidding me? You know, and, and, and the children of Israel were just murmuring and complaining. Do you know the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, it says, do everything without murmuring and complaining. Do everything without murmuring and complaining. Just zip it. Just zip it. Don't let it out of your mouth. You'll end up like the children of Israel. It kills gratitude. It kills uh, a sense of wonder. You know, I was, I was talking with Dick the other day at, at, the, at the Monday night sort of thing. You know what I love about talking to that guy is every time he talks about his job, I've never met someone with so much enthusiasm. I was talking about my West Coast road trip, and he was telling me all the places I need. Oh, you need to see this, or you need to see that. Talk about enthusiastic. I thought, yeah, that's what we need. We need people who love life. Who don't say, oh, you know, the economic climate's so bad now. You know that road, that east road, it's still not open. Still have to go on the west road, can't go on the east road. Well, you get to see brilliant scenery. And it takes you two hours longer so you can worship God a little more. Do you know what I mean? There's a plus in everything. There's a plus in everything. Here's what Kahil Gibran had to say. Our anxiety does not come from thinking about the future, but from wanting to control it. Oh, that's a good one. Anyone feel the sword going in at that moment? (laughs) Our anxiety does not come from thinking about the future, but from wanting to control it. Do you know, we're basically a bunch of control freaks. You know, my mother was Italian. It doesn't get much worse than that. (laughs) Just a control freak. And one of the reasons she had so much anxiety in in her life is because she she just wanted to know everything up front. She wanted to control things. But here's the thing. Your life, you're not meant to be in control of your life anyway. You're meant to be surrendered to a king who watches over you and he knows. He orders our steps. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way. Though he falls, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Come on, God is ordering our steps. Have you ever wondered about the story of the children of Israel in the wilderness? You know, God led them around for 40 years with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God knew what he was doing. He was with them every step of the way. Jesus made this promise in Matthew 28. Lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Isn't that a good promise? Jesus didn't promise to keep you out of problems and out of trouble. He promised to be with you in them. That's what makes a difference. We've got to be a group of people who learn that there is no area of life that God wants you to carry anxiety. We've got to be a people who, number two, we've got to learn to pray and be thankful. Do you know they're like weapons? Thanksgiving's like a weapon. Praise is like a weapon. Prayer is like a weapon. 
we've got to use them against the power of the enemy. Let, let, Let me just give you a challenge this week. Every single day next week, Say thank you to God for something and say thank you to someone else for something. Just show appreciation. Show appreciation. Don't, don't, don't talk about what you don't have. Appreciate what you do have. Yeah? Because the problem is that in life, most of us suffer from a thing that the Bible calls covetousness. Covetousness is a very powerful thing. Here's what it says in the book of... Um, Colossians. It says, therefore put to death, Colossians 3.5, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, yeah, we all know that's wrong, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Hello? Covetousness, wanting more, is idolatry. Have you ever thought about it like that? Do you know when Paul lists his sins the things that God had to deal with his life, he says, I was a covetous man. He's basically saying, I was an idolater. You see, when you're coveting something, you basically end up worshipping what you want. That's what idolatry is. Not only that, when you have an idol in your life, you end up sacrificing to it. So if your idol is you have to have the big house, you sacrifice to your big house. And you say, I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to go on summit. I can't afford to go to Shell. I can't afford to go there. Well, because you're sacrificing to your idol. We think it's an issue of money. No, it's an issue of priority. You've got to let go sometimes of things. Now, now, now listen. Paul says in Philippines 4... Verse 11 and 13, he says this, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. Do you know what? Here's the the last point I want to make. Every single one of us has got to learn contentment. You've got to learn it. It doesn't come naturally. If you don't believe me, wait till you have kids. Contentment doesn't come naturally. You're not wired towards contentment. He says, I had to learn it. I know how to be abased, I know how to bound. In everything and in all things, I have learned, he says it twice, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you love the way that text, Philippians 4.13, is right there in the middle of Paul saying, listen, I've known what it's like to have a lot, and I've known what it's like to have a little. And you know what? No matter which place I'm in, I've learned contentment. I've learned contentment. Do you know, when I was living as a, a lecturer, a senior lecturer in a Bible college in Denmark 10 years ago, Denmark is a, it's like New Zealand. You know, it's 5 million people. I think you have 4.8 million. 5 million people. And a land mass that's bigger than Britain, which has 70 million. So how many of you know, like New Zealand, the houses there are bigger and better? For the most part. Most of you don't realize how good it is. I'll invite you to London one day and show you an average house. You'll laugh. An average house in London. You'll laugh how tiny everything is. So we're living in New Zealand, and I'm living in a house that has seven bedrooms, three reception rooms, four bathrooms, and it's amazing. I can get five cars in the driveway. It's a five-minute walk to where I work, and I've got my own office with a library of over 1,000 books in my personal library in my office. And then God speaks to me about going back to London. 
And when we go back to London and we sell our house, we're able to buy a one-bedroom semi-detached house in West London. Hello? See, I've learned. I've learned contentment. Because my joy and my happiness is not out there, it's in here. You see, the moment you put your happiness somewhere out there, then, then whatever happens out there determines your sense of happiness. If your happiness is in another person, then what happens is you allow that person to now have power over you. So I know people, oh, well, I'm not coming to church. Why not? Well, she's going to be there. He's going to be there. Okay, you gave them power over you now. Now you're not doing something because you gave them power over your life. Your happiness now is outside of you. It's not inside of you. When your happiness is inside of you, you say, I don't care who's there. I'm going to worship Jesus. I'm going to be in the presence of God with God's people. And I'm not going to let someone else's journey and someone else's issue and someone else's ungodliness determine my relationship with God and my friendship with God's people. You just, you just empowered them by doing that. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to live with constant anxiety and fear in your life if you do that. You've got to break that. How do you do it? By prayer, with supplication, and thanksgiving. Thank God for all the healthy relationships you do have your life. And now sometimes, sometimes we're exposed to things, and, and like, like with my daughters, I've said to them, that guy is an unhealthy relationship. How I many of you know dad is always right? And sometimes it takes them a while to do this. It takes them a while to find out. My, my, my daughter went out with a guy where by the time she realized he was controlling uh, and unhealthy and she broke it off, he literally tried to kidnap her. He literally got a car and, and secured the doors that she couldn't get out of it. He grabbed her one day uh, at nighttime, literally threw her in the car. She managed to get out of the car. Nobody helped her. There were people in the streets just watching like, this is really interesting. It wasn't a movie. It was real life. That was an anxiety-producing moment for me as a dad. We ended up going to court. He ended up going, you know, getting a custodial sentence. I mean, it was a real issue in our family. It was a real issue. But here's the thing. She learned from that about men, and she learned about controlling men, and she learned about what decisions that she should make that would be healthy in the future. And it was a great learning experience. It was an anxiety-producing moment for me as a father. But you know what? I learned to trust God in the process. I remember saying to her, do you want me to come with you to the police? Do you want me to? No, Dad, I'm going to do this on my own. I've, I've learned some real lessons here. I'm going to do it on my own. So I was praying for the whole time. She did the whole thing on her own. Went to court on her own. Stood in a witness box on her own. Just grew as a person on her own in that experience. So listen, I know what it's like when crap hits you. I know what it's like when life hits you hard. I know what it's like when tough things happen. But I want to say to you, come on, you need to learn contentment. You've got, you've got to learn. Listen, if what you have is not enough right now, you will never be happy. Listen, if you're a single woman or a single guy here today, I hope you're happy with who you are. Because another person is never going to complete you. You've got to be content with who you are. 
You know, there's a lot of men who say to me, oh, I'm looking for a girl who's like this and a girl who's like that. And it's like describing Claudia Schiffer or somebody like that. And I said, well, what, what makes you think a girl like that is going to want a guy like you? Too harsh? They call that reality therapy. I remember saying to some guys, why don't you become the kind of guy a girl like that would be attracted to? Work on yourself. Work on yourself. Become somebody who's got character, who's got steadfastness, who's secure in their identity, who's not a clingy, clingy, clingy person. Just got to hang on to you because you give me a sense of identity and purpose. Oh my God, it makes me want to gag. We're sons and daughters of the King. Don't give your power away. You're empowered in Jesus. I'll talk about this more tonight. It says this in Leviticus 22, 29. When you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, offer it of your own free will. There's five major offerings in the first five books of Leviticus. Five major offerings. Two of them are compulsory, the sin offering and the trespass offering. But the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering are thanksgiving offerings. They're free will offerings. You didn't have to do it. It was your choice. God says, you've got to do these two because these deal with sin and trespass. No choice. You've got to deal. The cross is a non-negotiable. Everybody has to repent. Everybody has to put faith in Jesus. But thanksgiving, that's an option. Because God wants it to come from your heart. It's a free will offering. We used to sing an old song in Sunday school when I was little. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings. Name them two by two. And it will surprise you what the Lord will do. It's a lovely little song. But sometimes we just need to sit down and just reflect on God's goodness to us right where we are in the journey. Right where we are. Do you know, I wake up every morning and I say something like this. I said, Lord, thank you that I've got health today. Thank you that I've got eyes to see, ears to hear, a tongue to speak, and I can lift my hands in worship. Thank you that today I've got friends who are loyal. Thank you that I've got family I can love and celebrate with. Thank you I've got people in my life who believe in me. And thank you that you're here walking with me. Just, I just rehearse some things to be thankful for. And, and when I'm going through difficult seasons, and I've been through some very difficult seasons, I've been through some really nasty accidents in my life where people said, you'll never walk again. I used to walk up and say, thank you, God, that you've got a better future for me than what these doctors are saying. And I'm believing that I'm in the process of getting healed. I believe I'm in the process where you're going to restore to me what the enemy has tried to steal from me. I'm trusting you for my healing. I don't experience it today, but I'm believing for it in my future. So I thank you that you're in my life. I thank you that I don't have to be anxious about this. I thank you that I have peace in my heart. Today, you get to choose anxiety or peace. What do you want? Why choose what the world has to deal with every day? when you can choose what only the kingdom can offer you. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray. 
I'm going to pray right now into this whole arena. But if you're somebody who you know you need to come down the front, we've got a wonderful prayer ministry team. They're happy to pray for you. I don't want anyone to leave this building today carrying anxiety, carrying an anxious thought, carrying an anxious burden. Nobody should leave this place today like that. I'm going to pray right now, but if you feel like you need a little bit of laying on of hands, sometimes we just need that little bit of extra help. That's okay. You come down the front while worship is going on. But right now, if you have a burden, maybe you're burdened for someone else. Maybe you're burdened for something that's going on in your life. Maybe you're burdened because people have said things to you and it's impacted you. Maybe you're dealing with a difficult situation. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's relationships. I want to say to you, come on by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding. I love that. The peace of God was never meant to be understood. It was meant to be experienced. That's why it says it passes understanding. It bypasses logic and rationale and it gives you something in your heart that is real that you can hold on to. So what we're going to do right now is if you've got a burden, just hold it out in your hand to Jesus like this. Hold it out. And Father, right now, every burden that you see represented and Spirit of God, you see to the hearts of people. You see what they're carrying. You see how it's weighing them down. You see the impact it's having on their emotions, on their thoughts, on their physical bodies. You see everything on their relationships. You know what every single person in this room is carrying. Lord Jesus, right now, in this moment, at this time, we cast our care upon you. We say, Lord Jesus, lift the burden. For everybody who's had a prognosis from doctors saying, this is what you have and this is how long it's going to take for you to be healed or you'll never be healed. Right now, I take authority over that prognosis in Jesus' name and I break its power. I break its power over the mind and over the body and I declare a higher authority right now in the name of Jesus. The authority that's in His name to heal, that by His stripes we are healed. And in Jesus' name, I declare health I declare wholeness. I declare restoration over bodies in this room right now in the name of Jesus. And for people who are dealing with relationships, Father, where it's stressful, where it's difficult, where people are just in a zone and making decisions that are unhelpful, that are destructive. Right now, we give you that burden. We say, Lord Jesus, you're able to bring conviction. You're able to bring restoration. You're able to bring healing. Right now, we give you those relationships. We refuse to carry it anymore. Be our burden bearer right now. We give it over to you. We give that person over to you. We give that situation over to you. Where there are financial difficulties and pressures in this room, Father, we speak to those in Jesus' name and we say, you are Jehovah Jireh, you are the Lord who provides. And we say to you, Jesus, thank you for what we have. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 